0: if you don't have the Christian spirit now, I mean, really, there's no hope for you at all. So, hey, I want to say uh, welcome to everybody that's here at the Richmond campus. I want to say hi to my mom. Uh, I talked to her this morning. She said it was snowing real hard where she is. And I told her I was wearing a red red sweater today. She said, boy, you're really trying to pull off this Santa Claus thing, aren't you? So... See, so Mom, Merry Christmas to you. I get to see her next week, so I'm very excited about that. I got to see her last couple weeks ago, so that's a lot of fun. I want to say hi to everybody at the Most City campus. Uh, I hope you're doing great. Go by and see Chad Harold. He'd love to introduce him, his family to you and wish you a Merry Christmas and get to know you. And then everybody at the Ramsey unit, Merry Christmas to you, fellas. I'm so glad you came to church today. To you, I know it's a tough time of the year for you and your family, but we're praying for you, and we're so glad you're at church today. I also don't want to leave out our West End friends. I got a text from Abe earlier. You know the World Cup's going on, you know the soccer thing? He said uh, that that time, Argentina was winning. And he said he thought he was the only Latino in church, you know, so uh, praying now, I think it's a tie. I don't know if, do they end, can they end the final in a tie? Is there any Latinos here? Yeah, okay. No, Argentina scored. It's, I just got to getting an update now. Are y'all watching the game while I'm trying to speak? Babe, are you gonna, the Latinos are here, but they have their iPhones, okay? They're watching the game. So so did Argentina win? No. It's still going on. Okay, well, let's just take a timeout. Let's all go to our No. We've got we've got something more important to talk about. Maybe I don't know. Somebody let me know, I guess, whenever. Hey, well, welcome. We're glad you're here. Please invite somebody to Christmas Eve. All three services, all three campuses have great services. We have like 27 services here at Richmond, but all the campuses have great services. They're great invites. They're 50-minute services. Candles are the thing. It's a great, great tradition. Please invite somebody to that. We've been talking over the last couple weeks about miracles, And we've been talking about the fact that we need to believe in miracles. And I know you believe in science, okay? I do too. I believe totally in science. But I understand that there's something, the creator of the heavens and the earth is above all that. He doesn't circumvent that. He invented it. He created science. So there's no conflict for me in believing in the supernatural as well as the natural. In fact, if we don't believe in the supernatural, we're stuck We're stuck in a dimension of time and space here on this planet for a limited number of years, and then it's over, and it's all predictable, and that's what causes us to lose hope. What gives us hope is the idea that things can change, that the unpredictable can happen, that the unthinkable could happen, that the miraculous can happen, that something could happen that we've never seen before or could never have guessed would ever happen again. In fact, our definition of a miracle is this, a surprising and welcome event that not, it's not explicable by nature or science, scientific laws, and is therefore considered to be a work of the divine agency. In other words, it's something that you can't just put in a box and say, this is how it happens. In fact, what I've said theologically that I think is true, but people get screwed up all the time on, is you cannot conjure up a miracle. You can ask for one, you should. We should all ask him for one, but you can't conjure one up. And are a lot of preachers... TV preachers say, that's why i never want to be on TV. Anyway, they say things like, if you ask the right way, the reason you don't have your miracles is because you don't believe enough or you don't do this enough. And I don't believe any of that's true. I believe God's got a will. He's got a plan. He's working behind the scenes and he's going to provide for you in miraculous ways and in natural ways. And God gets the glory for it all. And so miracles are not predictable and you can't conjure one up, but man, we need them. Don't you need a miracle? Wouldn't you like to have a miracle right now? I mean, really, I'd love to have a miracle for sure. If you've got kids, you need a lot of miracles, you know, really. You see, the idea here is that God, if you believe in God, and I know not everybody here or West End or Missouri City believes in God, and everybody at the Ramsey Union, not everybody believes in God, but if you do believe in God, you have to believe that he's bigger than nature, that he's above nature. He can do anything he wants, and that's why we believe in the Christmas story, that a virgin became pregnant and gave birth to the Messiah, all God and all man. It was a miracle. And there's been plenty of those. You know, the biggest miracle is for you and me though, day to day is the need that we have for a miracle of change. Now we can see change. We need, we know we need change. We need our environment to change. We need our jobs to change. We need our spouses to change. And oh, please God, let our kids change. You know, that kind of stuff right? But the biggest and the hardest change is the change that we have in our own lives, like identifying the change that we need and then actually, you know, sort of um, uh, making that change happen is extremely difficult. But when we lose the hope of change, well, we lose hope because when things are the same and we have to accept it, it's tough like when you lose somebody, or when you get real sick, or you lose your job, or you lose your health, and you think, at least I do, I kind of get obsessive like this, you think things will never change, and as soon as you think that, you lose hope. Things will never change. It's always going to be like this. You lose hope. That's why the Christmas story is such a great story. It's a story of life change. And we're going to look at a very familiar part of the Christmas story today uh, that you've seen before. Let me give you a little bit of background in Luke chapter 2. This is when uh, a census was ordered and Mary and Joseph had to make their way to Bethlehem from Nazareth. So they had to go to Bethlehem to be counted. And that's why they were there when she went into labor to give birth. And when that happened, this familiar story happened. Let's look at it. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were freaked out. I, I like that version better, but they were terrified. And you know this, this is, this is why I like the Bible, it's so real, it's so true. If an angel of the Lord appeared to you while you were out in the field watching your sheep, you would be scared. And so what I love is the accuracy of human emotions that's, dict- that's uh, narrated in these stories because that's how you and I would feel. We wouldn't go, hey, look at there, an angel. No, we would freak out. And that's what they did. They were terrified. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid because I bring you good news that will be, cause great joy for, say that word right there, ready? All. all, all the people, all the people, all the people. There's good news for great joy for all the people. And then here's the news. Today, in the town of Bethlehem, no, sorry, town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And then in the description, he's the Messiah. He's the Lord. This is a sign to you. Now, I like that because every time God does something miraculous, and well, not every time, but a lot of times when God does something miraculous, he says, look for this. It's a sign. Now, why does God do that? The reason God does that is, I think, because you and I have a propensity to explain away the supernatural. We have a way of rationalizing, oh, I know we thought we saw an angel, but what it really was was a cloud formation, and we just kind of make make our way, make our natural minds kind of understand the supernatural in natural ways, and it doesn't work that way. So the the Lord says, look, look, look here, here's a sign, look at this sign, here's the sign, here's Here's the sign for you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. How would the angel know that? Then suddenly this amazing thing erupted in the sky. A great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. So this angelic choir appears. It's like, you cannot ignore this. An angel shows up, tells you what's going on, then a whole host of angels show up and sing you a song. Deal with this. It's supernatural. And I think sometimes because we're so hard headed and some of us are really stubborn, that we don't really get it. So God is trying to knock down the door of our minds so we can understand something special is happening here. Pay attention. Then, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about, and the choir sing about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him they began to spread the word. They began to say, oh my gosh, it's exactly like the angels told us. Now, I don't know how long it took them to walk there, but it was like, oh my gosh, this has happened. This has really happened. And they began to tell everybody about it concerning what had been to, told to them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what was the shepherds that said to them. Then the last, it says, but Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So a change had occurred. And what I want you to see in the shepherd's life is a real transition, a real transformation, a real change that happened in these men that were once shepherds and now they were evangelists. There were once shepherds doing their job, making sure that everything that they, they were supposed to be doing was doing, and then all of a sudden, God did something in their life. So here's the thing you don't, don't really understand about the story, because I didn't know this. Sorry, my nose is running. What's the score, y'all? What's your score? Three to three. Three to three, y'all. Is it a shootout? It's a shootout right now? You should really pay attention. All right. Abe, Abe has left the building. He's not even at Weston anymore. He's at home watching TV, drinking an adult beverage or something. I don't know. Let me tell you about shepherds. Shepherds were the, really kind of the bottom feeders of society. They were considered unclean and dirty. And they weren't invited to religious ceremonies, even though they were Jewish. And uh, They were thieves and robbers because they were poor. And any advantage that they could gain by doing whatever they needed to do, they would They were very poor. They didn't own land. They just watched sheep, and they sold off the war. Sometimes they sold off the land. They were really considered in the culture as unrighteous. Now, why is that important? Well, for the Christmas story, think about this. If God was going to make a sort of angelic appearance to announce the coming of the Messiah, who would you appear to? I'd go to the temple where the righteous people were, you know? I'd go out there where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rabbis and the holy people and the clean people and the rich people. God didn't do that. He went to the marginalized and the outcast of the culture. He went to the fields. He went to people that nobody else was going to go to. And he announced this heavenly thing, this supernatural miracle, the coming of the Messiah to people who nobody else cared about but him. It's an amazing illustration of God's heart for those on the outskirts of our culture, of our society. The people we push away because they're unclean. Those are the people who God comes to first. And this announcement came, and it came to the unrighteous, because that's who needed to hear it. There's so much packed into this scripture the angels gave of what they were going to find when they said they were going to find Jesus. They First, they said he was going to find a Savior, a rescuer, a redeemer, a deliverer. That's what a Savior is. Who is the Christ? He was the Messiah, the promised Jewish Messiah 700 years before was promised. He's the anointed one, God appointed. And he was the Lord. He was the master and the ruler. I mean, there's so much in that description. They could have just said Emmanuel, or they could have just said Jesus, or they could have just said the Messiah, but they gave this very descriptive term of what they were going to find. And what the shepherds reacted to is they said, this is real. I mean, really. And the shepherds said that we've got to go see this for ourselves. We've got to figure this out. Now, in order to go see for themselves, this is the hardest part for change, by the way, is they had to come to grips with, at some level, and we don't know what level, but at some level they had to come to grips with the truth that they needed a Savior. And that's hard to do. You know why it's hard to do? Because it's hard to define ourselves as a sinner or unrighteous or in need of a savior or in need of forgiveness, because there's something in our protective system, our psyche, our emotions that continually tell us that we're okay and that we're doing okay, but there's something deep in our soul that says we're not. But as long as we can continue to compare ourselves with one another, compared to you, I'm doing good, (laughs) and compared to me, you're doing pretty good too. You know, we, we like to say, hey, I'm no Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or whoever your religious uh, sort of uh, model is, but I'm certainly no Patrick Kelly. You know, I'm in the middle here. I'm, 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 and as long as I can say I'm booing pretty good, we'll never recognize our deep need for a Savior. But we all know, I believe, we know there's something ain't right. Good ain't good enough. Better than you ain't good enough. And God doesn't grade it on a curve. You're either forgiven or not. You're either righteous or not. You're either with him or you're not. That's it. He doesn't stand a bunch of people up and go, okay, I'm going to take the top three of the class. That's how school worked. I was never in the top three, by the way. That's not how God works. We're all acceptable because of Christ. But the hard part is you've got to come to grips with the idea that you need a savior. You you need a Savior, and you do. You know why? Because you're broken, just like me. You're a mess, just like me, and left to your own devices. You're going to throw your your life into some sort of ditch somewhere along the way. You need a Savior. God made you to need Him, and when we do life without Him, we're just doing the best we can, and the best we can won't get it done, at least typically. We act like it does because we should. We have it all. There's something deep in our heart that we know something missing, something eternal, something in our souls. And we need to change. But change is hard. Change is hard for everyone. Just like your need to say, I need a savior, which is a very humbling place to do, because we want to all act like we're doing okay. We have to come to a place where we say, hey, no, I need to change. So how does change really occur? Lasting change I'm talking about, real change. I mean, really, because if you do, listen, here's what I know. If you do what you just want to do, you'll never change to be what you want to be. God, somebody should tweet that out. It's really good. What's the score? (laughs) Is it still 3-3? Dang it. Okay. I got to keep preaching until this game's over. So, So what did the shepherds do? to experience change. First thing, they had their life interrupted. There they were, in the fields, minding the sheep. Their job was dangerous, but tedious. It was the same every single day. That's the way it was. And all of a sudden, an angel appeared, and God interrupted their life. They didn't get to vote on that. They weren't asking for that. It just sort of happened. God's timing, God's plan, the miracle occurred without their permission. And here comes the supernatural event that totally interrupted their life. That's how change begins. And when an interruption occurs, maybe, maybe the interruption for you or me is uh, your marriage isn't working, or your health's not working, or your mental health's not working, or your life's not working, or you're not happy, you're not peaceful, you're not, something's going on, your job's not working, your money's not working, I mean, yeah, something ain't working, that's the interruption. It's a signal. It's like an alarm going off. You need change. Something's got to change. But we're all resistant to change. Yes, you are. You are. You're resistant to change. Every single one of us. Now, some of you are really stubborn. But all of us, you know why? Because we like the poison we know versus the thing we don't know. Change to what? What 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 would happen? I, I like this. I'm a guy of routine. I'm old, and the older you get, changes even harder. I'm 58. I I eat basically the same thing every morning for breakfast. <laughs> oatmeal. I like oatmeal. Sometimes I'll have eggs when I'm feeling crazy. <laughs> but mostly it's oatmeal. I like sitting in my chair. I, it's my chair. I like to come home and sit in that chair, and I like to watch sports. I I, I like to watch. I like to talk to my remote control, and it just makes sports happen. And I like that. I, I like routine. I, I like the same thing. It's safe. It's predictable. It's, it's good. And Time to time, though, God interrupts and the change isn't needed. Maybe that's happening to you. Maybe this Christmas something ain't right. And maybe you're just trying to white-knuckle it and bear it and get through it and get back to the normal thing. Maybe a change would be the right thing to do. That's what the shepherds did. They, they paid attention. They had to. I mean, a choir of angels showed up, right? The second thing they did was this. They got up and saw for themselves. Change will not be thrust upon you. Nobody can make you change. You've got to get up and see for yourself. You've got to want it. Listen, I've raised four kids. I can tell you, they don't change until they decide to change. And all the changes their mother and I have told them to make, we're right. (laughs) And just like me when I was a kid, I didn't listen to my dad either. And at some point, they grow up and they go, oh, this don't work. See, I can't prescribe a change for my wife or church members or friends. I can say, I can identify, hey, hey, that's got to... Hey, stop that. That's got to change. Hey, stop that. And just like your kids, they'll go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I totally see that. But until there's something deep and profound in them, for them to get up off their routine and their predictable life and the way they're doing life and they're getting by in life, until they get up and go see for themselves, change ain't going to occur. Have you ever prayed for change? God, change me. And what do you think's going to happen? God's going to go, I've been waiting for you to ask. (laughs) You are now patient and kind and considerate. And you eat all the right foods and, zzz, oh, you want more change? Zzz, oh, there's your spouse and zzz, there's your life. No, God's going, oh, ha, you want change? Get up. Come on. I'll show you where it's at. And we're going, no, 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 no. Can, I, I got 12 minutes. Can you, um, can you, let me, I got to take this call. Okay, can you change me now? And God's going, no, I, no. How long did the shepherds have to walk to get to Bethlehem? I don't know. We're not told. But it wasn't easy. And change isn't easy. And it takes time. Third thing they did, and this is really important, they experienced the truth of Jesus. They saw for themselves and they saw the truth. And the truth of what, the thing that keeps us away from change is believing a lie. And lies are so much easier to believe because they comfort us. Change is aggravating. And when they saw the truth of Jesus lying in the manger, Mary and Joseph... Just like the angels told, they experienced something that was so true, they couldn't deny it anymore, and change began to occur. And they walked in there as the unrighteous, and they left as the righteous. They walked in there one way, trying to get through another night of watching sheep, and they left there praising God, telling other people what they'd seen, a real and lasting change. That's how it happens. Your life gets interrupted. You get up off your routine and you say, I got to do something different. And you go find the truth. That last part's tough, man. Because I know you think you think. I know you think what you think is true. But I'll tell you, because I'm your friend. Not everything you think is true. Is true. And I'll tell you another thing. Not everything you think is not true is not true. And your responsibility is to find the truth. Seek the truth. Because the truth will set you what? Free. free. The truth will set you free. But we take comfort in our lies. I do. I had it kind of happen to me this year. A lot of you, and I've really appreciated this, I really have, have walked up to me and said, Pastor, man, you have, you have lost so much weight. Yeah. And I appreciate you said. and I'm so glad you only comment on it's going down. Like, it would be such a bummer if when I'm gaining weight, you know, you've been around for a long time, that's a roller coaster for me. And I began, I'm so glad you don't come up to me and go, Pastor, you've been gaining so much weight. You look full and healthy you don't do that, thank you. But a lot of you said, Pastor, you, you lost so much weight. How did it happen? Well, food's always been a problem for me. My weight's always been a problem for me. But in August of this year, I went to the doctor. And I go to this doctor, I go to this doctor every year. I love this guy. He's a Jewish doctor, man. He's awesome. He doesn't care one iota that I'm a pastor. Okay. We have a lot of fun together. Terribly inappropriate. Can't talk to you about it now. But <clears throat> It's awful, what he does to me. Anyway, so, <laughs> so uh, he gave me the normal thing. He said to me, uh, Patrick, listen, you gotta lose twenty five pounds. I know, Doc. No, he said, listen, I'm, I'm tired of talking to you about this. You're fat and you're out of shape, and every year, here's what he said to me, you're fat and out of shape, and every year you come in here, and every year you're 18 to 25 pounds. I got it on the chart. You're 18 to 25 pounds overweight, and every year I talk to you about losing weight, and you don't ever do it, and I'm just sick and tired of telling you about it. I said, well, can you just give me my flu shot? (laughs) I mean, that's really all I came in for is my flu shot no, you got to lose weight. He said, you got grandkids? I said, yeah, I got grandkids. How old are they? Six and five. And I, he said, you're not going to live to see him graduate high school. I said, really? He said, yeah, diabetes runs in your family and your blood sugar's up. It's a trend. You got to lose weight. I don't want you to come in here next year and tell me you're going to. And I walked out of there and I had a real problem. I thought, I gotta find a new doctor. <laughs> See, that's what they do. You know, you go to a church and the preacher preaches, and then you don't like what the preacher says, you go, I gotta find another church. Or you go to a counselor. This is really common. You go to a counselor. What should I do? Well, here's what you should do. You're crazy. And you walk out until you find the advice you need. I appreciate Dr. Hoffman. I really do. And I walked out of there going, "All right, I'm tired of being fat. I've had little success. This is a big thing for me." So I give up sugar and flour, and I started exercising. And I met a fellow I've known him for a while down at the West End campus named Ronnie Bookman, and Ronnie owns a gym called All Inspire uh, or Always Inspire. I never know what that name is anyway. So. He told me, I told him, I said, man, I need to work out. And Ronnie looked at me and said, man, you give me two months, I'll change your life. I said, Ronnie, I can do anything for two months. He said, come on. So I started going to work out. I did things I'd never done before, man. I I lifted weights and he he gave me me the right, I mean, he was just right with me. I mean, he's evil, but listen, (laughs) uh, he almost killed me. I mean, I hated going, but I went, I went. I told him I'd go and I went. And then one day, I thought, I got it good. I got his wife, Sierra. I thought, this is going to be easy because I got his wife, Sierra. She's the devil. I'm telling you, man. She, <laughs> she put me under. And I was just like, oh. you know what happened two months later? I felt so good. He was right. I did what I didn't want to do to be what I wanted to be, healthy, alive in a few years. Now, I'll probably get by a train or something, but I'm not going <laughs> to die of diabetes. That's my goal there, so. I'm not saying that for sure. I don't know how I'm going to die. Anyway, so I just appreciate Ronnie so much and what they've done for me. And, and I just wonder, you know, when, when's, you, when's your life going to get interrupted? You know, a miracle to, be a, to create lasting change, you got to have an encounter with God at some level. You gotta, God didn't build you to do it all your own. You're self-disciplined. You're, all your, listen, I have no self-discipline, Man. And I'm not saying I'll be thin. I got five more pounds to go. The doctor said I got to lose 30 pounds. I've lost 25. I got to go. I can't wait. When I get there, because I love Dr. Hoffman, when I get there, five more pounds, I'm going to walk in shirtless and go, ah! (laughs) Give me a hug. (laughs) I might be fat again. I don't know. But I sure like this thing that we're doing here. I feel good. I got to, listen, I got to watch Elf with my grandchildren on Friday. And I didn't fall asleep in the middle of it. And we tried to reenact that scene at the table when he burps real loud. That's why they love me as are peppy. I feed them Coke at 10 o'clock at night. and, And I'm thinking, man, God's got a lot of good life left for me. I want to change. I want to change. And maybe you're not there yet. Maybe your life's not been interrupted. But don't ignore the miraculous signs that God's bringing your way. I want to get married. I want to have a family. I want a new job. I got to do this. I got to get in shape. I want my marriage to be better. I want to be sober. Get up. Go look for the truth and change. It's possible only with God. I really believe that. It's only possible with God. And you need friends like Ronnie Bookman and some other people to come around you and say, I can help you. God never meant for you to do it alone. And I know on Instagram, everybody looks like they're doing it. They're not. They're a bunch of freaking liars. That's what's going on over there. (laughs) Their life is as messy as yours. So take responsibility for your life. You know, coming to Christ is about growth. This is what Paul said in Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old is gone, a new day is here. And then Romans, this is my favorite passage in Romans. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, or don't even be conformed to your own pattern or your own desires, right? But be transformed by renewing your mind, by thinking differently. I gotta, I gotta, I'm a bit interrupted here. I've got to go, go find, I've got to go figure this out, and I've got to find the truth. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, which he's trying to shape and form you into his image so that you can have peace and, and, and you, can, you can have the joy regardless of your circumstances. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. That's what his will is. So I don't know what change you need to make, but it's a miracle to have change. It's a miracle. I'm not the way I was a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. I want to be different. I got a lot, lot, lot more to do. So do you. That's why we're in it together. We're going to change. It's not going to be easy. But man, we'll tell other people all that God has done in our lives. It'll be such a joy. Let's pray about it. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for loving us for caring for us, and not leaving us the way we are. And if you're here in Missouri City or West End at the Ramsey Unit, and you've never given your life to Jesus, this is the day. This is your time to say, I believe. Your life's been interrupted. You showed up at church. Your life's been interrupted. Now believe. Accept. The fact that you need a Savior and that Jesus is it and that He died on the cross and He was buried and He rose again. And you want that life. You're not going to be perfect. You're not even going to come to church much. I get it. But you want to know God, your Creator. God will change you from unrighteous to righteous in the blink of an eye with a simple prayer of faith. It's not about being good, it's about being His. So, God, we thank you that we don't have to just accept the inevitable, that a miracle can happen and change is possible. And that gives us hope today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.